I'd like to say hi to uh, my brothers and sisters here, and, and uh, if you're new, I'd just like to have it's a special welcome to you. And, and uh, if, you, if you see somebody that you don't recognize and you haven't seen before, be sure and say hi and introduce yourself. They'll feel the love as well. And for those of you online, um, I, my hope and my prayer would be that uh, sometime soon you'd be able to come and just enjoy the love that happens here at The Rock. Um, my name is Mitch Reed. My uh, wife, Sandy, and I have been coming here for 10 years or whatever it's been. And I got to say that it's uh, one of the best experiences of my life. I've never met so many people and friends and, 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 and just people that genuinely care. You know, they love you. <laughs> I'm sorry, that just doesn't happen everywhere. And I'm just, I'm so blessed to be a part of this fellowship. Um, I uh, obviously am not one of the pastors here at The Rock. Um, I have been a member of the board and, uh, and do a weekly Bible study and, and have helped out at the, the VOA ministering to those folks out there for a number of years. So I say that just so you'll know they just didn't drag me out off the street and, uh, and tell me, give me a mic and say, talk about God. You might have got a better deal. I'm, I'm not sure. When this, is, when this is kind of plays out, we'll see. I play, how about the band, first of all? Man, are we blessed? Awesome vocalists and, and musicians for a little, little church like this. I mean, that's extraordinary. That's uh, awesome. I do play in the worship band, as a matter of fact, and I feel pretty comfortable with a guitar and even a mic to sing a song once in a while. Preaching? Uh, a little out of my comfort zone. Um, but one thing about being out of your comfort zone is stepping out in, in, in your faith in God. And Psalm 119 talks a lot about that, being, being okay, knowing that God's got you. He's not going to let you down. When he asks you to do something, he prepares you for it. You know, just the way it is. Um, you step out, and each time you do that, whether you start out in, in church serving uh, as, as a greeter or as an usher or, or whatever it is, God will prepare you for that. It'll be scary. You know, when you start out, scary. But man, you learn. Your faith grows. Every time you come through that and realize God got you through that, man, you're going to grow. Your character's going to grow. And that's what God's interested in. He's interested in our character. Um, we're going to continue on Psalm 119. We're going to go through 89 through 104. And that covers Lamed. I don't know if I'm saying that right. And Mem in the Hebrew alphabet. And what I'm going to do, I'm just going to read all 16 uh, verses. And, and then we'll go through and, and unpack it a little bit. Since your word, Lord, is eternal, it stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my afflictions. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me. But I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit. 
but your commands are boundless. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. As Ben told us a few weeks ago, the uh, author of Psalm 119 is not known. I would say if God wanted us to know, he'd have told us. And that's really not very important at this point. Uh, but there's a timeless truth to be grasped in through all of this, no matter who wrote it. And that is, study God's word, meditate on it, trust in it, desire it, and apply it to your life. And if you do that, uh, no matter what your circumstances, your trials or afflictions, or whatever they are, God is faithful and sovereign over all things, and is just. And in his perfect timing, he will act on your behalf according to his will. That's a big that's a big thing, his will. If it's in his will, this is going to happen. There are many options for the authorship, um, and some are uh, Adam Melchizedek, that's the way you say that? Moses, Ezra, uh, Daniel, and David. Um, but whoever wrote it experienced a lot of affliction in their life, had a lot of trouble, uh, a lot of trials. They had sin in their life. Uh, they had repentance and restoration. They had a lot to say. The longest, longest chapters of the Bible had a lot to say. There's a Jewish tradition that King David wrote Psalm 119 throughout his life. And he used that to teach his son Solomon the alphabet. Not only the alphabet for writing letters, but also the alphabet of spiritual living. Um, today, I'm going to use David uh, as an example of this timeless truth. You can plug in whoever you want, uh, mainly because his life covers so many facets of life, and it is so thoroughly covered in the Bible. I mean, some of our favorite verses in the Bible have to be David. I mean, he's pretty extraordinary and went through uh, quite a life. So anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to just use that. The first eight verses are from Hebrews, uh, letter Lamed, which has a kind of, kind of a connotation of a whip or a club. And it makes me think of, of a shepherd's rod or a staff. And, and when, you're, when you're chasing sheep around, you're trying to keep them out of danger, you've got to be sometimes pretty aggressive. And that rod and that staff come in handy. Has anybody ever herded animals, whether it's cows or... Or, or, or sheep, or chickens, or don't even try cats. <laughs> Just, no, don't bother. But it seems like wherever you want them to go, they want to go the opposite way. They don't know why, but they're just going to go that way. Sometimes I think the best way to do is head them into danger, 
and they'll go the other way. I haven't tried that, but I'm thinking, just, just thinking that possibly that could work. It's kind of like us. Uh, when the first time somebody comes maybe to you and say, I'm going to tell you about this Jesus, and I'm going to tell you about ever, everlasting life, and I'm going to talk about all this good stuff, and, and they're saying, uh, you know what, I, I have a chess game. I have something that's very important right now. I kind of like a positive and a negative magnet, you know, and I'm sure you've experienced that with someone you're trying to explain the gospel to. It just seems like it, it's very hard, difficult. It says never get tired of doing good. Keep on going. Keep on going. Keep trying. If they're going to come, they're going to come. God's going to call them. Just you do your part. In verse 89 through 90, it says, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You know, when God lays down a law, no matter if it's gravity or motion or time or astrophysics, whatever it is, he lays down a law, that's it. That's just going to be that way. It's going to be an absolute truth. It's not going to change. In fact, the definition of absolute truth is something that is always true, no matter what the circumstances. It is a fact that cannot be changed. There's no wiggle room there. It cannot be changed. That's just the way it is. We live in a world that says there are no absolute truths. In fact, in, in, in May of 2020, they did a poll that, uh, that only 43% of born-again Christians believed and embraced an absolute truth. I didn't know that. I don't watch the news or, or TV for that matter. But I didn't know that that was the case. Our worldview says there is no absolute truth, no true reality, no per only perceptions and opinions, and everything is relative to something else, which means there are no moral absolutes, no authority for deciding what is right or wrong, good or bad. Whatever seems right at the time that's okay. That's your truth. That's your reality. In Judges 17, 6, it says that in those days Israel had no king, and all the people did what was right in their own mind. If Jesus Christ is not our king, and we don't judge all things through his perfect word and laws, we have chaos. I don't need to, to look at the news to know that, that seems to be the state of our, of our country and, and the world. It seems like the farther we get away from him, the more chaos comes about. And, and uh, the psalmist goes on in, in verse 91 to say, Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. No matter what the, the world says or believes, Every atom in the universe is under the command of God's perfect law. There's no change in it. It will function as God's servant as long as God speaks it into existence. In uh, Isaiah 
55.11. It says, My word that goes out of my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The sun and the moon are two examples. They haven't missed their appointed round since the fourth day of creation when God spoke them into existence. In verse 92, it says, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my afflictions. That word delight is taking great pleasure in something. Some people take delight, delight in golf. Some people take delight in fishing. Uh, some people, it's rodeo, <laughs> rodeo week. And some people, that's what they do. My daughter and my granddaughter, <laughs> man, it's rodeo. That's their, the great delight they take in that. Um, astrophysics, again. Shopping. Yes, people actually have delight in shopping. My wife made sure that I had that included in this, uh, this sermon. Um, but David, he took great delight in studying, meditating, and knowing God's instructions for life. That's what he took great delight in. <coughs> Excuse me. David's love affair for God's word started as a, as a young boy. He was a shepherd boy. And, and he, he depended on the Lord for, for everything, you know. Uh, all of his troubles and everything else. At a young age, he began. Have you ever noticed that people, when they start a child out young, they get so much better when they're, when they're grown? Tiger Woods, for instance, started at five years old. And by the time he was like seven, he was beating some of the pros. I mean, it, teach them young. Um, most times that doesn't come naturally. Makes me think of little Johnny that you want to teach to play the piano. And, and you bring in this big old piano and you put it on the, in the living room and boy, Johnny, look at that thing. That is cool. And it makes noise. Ding, 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 ding. This is cool. Then it comes time to practice. And you got this page up there with these goofy looking notes and stuff like that. You got to learn that stuff. You got to da, da, da. And it's, you'll, he'll fight you. He'll fight you, he'll fight the music teacher, he'll fight anybody to get out of that. But if he sticks to it long enough, and if you stick to it <laughs> long enough, pretty soon he's going to start feeling this music. And this stuff on the paper, sometimes it just doesn't matter. He just starts playing that thing and he feels it in his heart. It becomes his, his happy place. When, when he's down and everything, he goes to that piano and he begins to play and it just feels a soothing and understanding. That's the way David did with, with the word of God. It became his delight. He delighted in God's word. He knew it was true. He believed it. He trusted it. He relied on it. He obeyed it. It was awesome. You know, and David, no matter how many times you'll find it, Psalm 19 and any other, any other psalm that he, that he had. Um, he'd always cry and wail, God, when will you take care of this problem? When will you take away my enemies? How long will I have to wait? And all this stuff. 
But then he always ends a stanza in, but you are faithful. I will trust in the Lord and his word. You know, they call us sheep. And I'm thinking, David's no different. How do you forget this stuff? <laughs> you know, you grow every time you go through a trial and he comes through for you, you grow. But you know what? People forget. I forget. In verse 93 and 94, it says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I sought out your precepts. And David is continuing in this same theme of his knowledge and application of God's laws. That they're his stronghold, and his adherence to them made him God's child. That's what, what God says. You follow these instructions and you will be my child. You seek me and I will seek you. You become a child of God. Um, in verse 95, it says, The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. In John 10.10, 10, it, it tells us uh, that the enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. It was true in David's day. And it's true in our day. And our protection is always the same. Believe, ponder, trust, and act on God's statute. It's always the answer to any trial, any tribulation, any affliction that we have. It's the same, it's the same thing we go to. That's our God. It's the creator of all things. There's no better place to go. It's the only place to go that has any real, true lasting uh, help. In verse 96, it says, To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. You know, through our mortal eyes, uh, a lot of times we'll see uh, God's, I mean, people's uh, accomplishments as, as seemingly perfect to us. I'll never forget when I was a young, young man, I, that first spaceship, they sent up, and all this smoke comes out of it, and it goes way up in the air, goes up there, and they, and they land that thing on the moon. They get out and play some golf. They get back in the thing and come on home, go back to work. What? What? Man, it has to be perfect. How do you not be perfect and do that? But as you all know, they're always coming up with a new model. Every time they do one, they learn something. Oh, we messed up over here. We messed up over here. It's like that, that thing we carry around that's a computer, they call a phone. You can take motion pictures. You can, you can know anything on Earth, the Google thing, and all that stuff. But I've noticed that every time I get to know how to do it on my phone, they change something. <laughs> I mean, it takes me forever to get to know that stuff, and they change it because it's not perfect. It's made by man. God, on the other hand, what he makes are perfect. They're everlasting. Just the way it is. Now we move on to Mem. And that, uh, it kind of has a connotation of water. Uh, the picture glass, is that the way you say it? Picture glass, whatever. It shows, it shows like little waves. And, and the... The Hebrew people back then had a fear of, of, uh, of the sea. Um, whether it's its vastness or its uh, turbulent waves or, 
or whether it comes flat <laughs> and you come to the end of it, then what? <laughs> they had a fear of the unknown. This makes you think of Jesus when he came. You know, the number one thing that we fear in life is death. Jesus came down and says, you know what? I'm going to die for your sins. And if you believe in me, death doesn't have any sting anymore. That's a mentionism. That's not what it says in the book. You don't have to fear death any longer, or I've taken care of that. In uh, verse 97, it says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Biblical meditation, like Pastor Mike told us a few year, a weeks back, is not the Eastern type where you move your body into a pretzel and think about nothing. Or, or I don't understand it. I don't know how to explain it. But biblical meditation, like he, Pastor Mike was saying, you take a bit of scripture and you read that in the morning, you just think about, meditate on that throughout the, throughout the day. You know, uh, something that is uh, really, I would have been convicted with for, for many years, and that is... Uh, Remembering scripture. You know, back when I was, when I was young, uh, you had to know like 30 phone numbers. <laughs> if you're going to call somebody, you know, you do this thing. You, call them, you had to know these phone numbers, and, uh, and it, was, it was good. You know, you could remember a lot of stuff. It's amazing the stuff you could remember. Now, if we did that with scripture... If we took just a little scripture, you know, you read in your Bible, which we need to do every morning. <laughs> and if we do that, we're gonna, our day's going to go better just the way that is. But if you take a little bit of scripture that happens to touch you, write that down, put it in your pocket, and you go out through your day, and for me it takes a week, but at the end of that week, that piece of scripture is in your heart. It's in your soul. It's there. It's not going to go away. You're not going to remember it just out of the blue. But I guarantee you, when you're talking to somebody, you're explaining a scripture, or you're talking about somebody and their troubles or whatever it is, that scripture is going to come up. I didn't read that somewhere. I experienced it all the time. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'm just glad God uh, convicted me. <laughs> you need to have this stuff in your heart. What if somebody took away all of our Bibles? They do that in other countries, you know. Man, the more you have here, uh, man, it's going to be priceless. And David saying that he loved, he loved scripture. Um, if you love something, um, you're going to have to go through a lot of different circumstances, a lot of different trials and situations, and, and to know if it's true, to know if it's actually uh, what it says it is. Marriage is a good example of that. You have to be with someone for quite a long time, and you have to understand their quirks. You have to understand... Uh, how they react under all kinds of situations and trials and tribulations and all these things before a love takes root. 
And if it doesn't take root, well, maybe not the right person. But you know, it takes a, a long time going through all kinds of struggles and things for a love to take root. And that's what exactly what David did. Um, and of course, it was, it was David's afflictions and sorrows and trials that uh, brought him to that point. In verse 98, it says, Your commandments are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. See, David spent so much time in God's word that he realized that most of those things were God's battles. And his most effective weapon against those things was obedience and trust in his ability to lead him through those trials. Goliath, for example, you know, he didn't, he didn't do, get Goliath down because he's strong and because he has his tactics in war or anything like that. They told him that this, this bozo over here was, was talking bad about my God. He said, ah, my God is much bigger than that. Give me a rock. He went out there and took him down. It was because of his faith. The lion and the bear that they talk about. All of his enemies he took down. He got through because of his faith and obedience and trust in God's word. In verse 99, it says, I have more insight than all my teachers where I meditate on your statutes. The teachers in, in David's day and for the most part and today was their information from the world. Um, we've talked about that earlier, what the worldview is. If you're going to teach here, this is what you teach. This is evolution, and this is the way we got started. On and on and on. They don't embrace the creator of all things. They don't embrace that. They teach something that's inferior. Um, verse 100 says, I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. Doesn't matter how old you are. If you get your information from a faulty source, you're going to have a great accumulation of bad advice. If, if you're a little guy and some guy that has with a, goofy, a goofy golf swing, and he's going to teach you how to swing a golf club, he says, you do it like this. Nice. You practice that religiously throughout your life. When you get to be old, what are you going to have? A bad golf swing. That's just the way that works. If you taught the wrong thing, you followed that, you did with that, that's what you're going to get. Doesn't matter how old you are. David, on the other hand, relied on God's word. I don't need to learn from, but to put into practice. And I think the, the word here, the main word, is obey. I obey your, your statutes, your laws. Um, it's one thing to know them. It's one thing to understand them. Maybe even meditate on them. But if you don't put them into action, if you don't do it, it's really pretty, pretty worthless. People look at you. They look at the fruit that comes from you. They don't look at what you say so much. 
Most people, if they're prudent, they're going to see what you do outside of this place that you're telling them this stuff. They're going to look at the fruit. Kind of where wisdom gets its legs. In verse 101 and 102, it reads, I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. I don't know about you, but I've learned a lot of good paths by taking a whole bunch of bad ones. You know, some people, they can, God can just whisper, okay, I get it, God, yeah, let's do that. Some of us have to get a hit over the head with a two-by-four several times to be able to uh, get a hold of it and find out where those, those good paths are. It doesn't matter how long, how long it takes, or what it takes. Keep it up. Get there. Find those good paths. Realize that this is God talking here. It's a good thing. David was not perfect by any means. But he had a faith in God that was extraordinary. In fact, he was the only person I know of that was called a a man after God's own heart. He had supernatural strength. It wasn't from lifting weights or working out with the Olympic team. He had great insight and wisdom. And it wasn't from going to Ivy League colleges. By, 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 by diligent and continual study and obedience to God's laws. What a testimony is the life of David. I love the fact that they didn't leave out the part about Bathsheba, the part about his arranged murder of her husband Uriah. It leaves room for us to see that even a man after God's own heart can make mistakes. It makes it easier for us to relate much easier for us to relate to a fellow sinner than it is an angel in street clothes. We have a lot to learn from the life of David and whoever it was that wrote this psalm. It's, like I say, it's not, not that important. But the truth is there. Do what God tells you to do and life will go better for you. You know, we, uh, the last one here finishing up, it says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. In our, in our walk and in our uh, speaking with others about, about the Lord and, and what he's done in our lives, uh, we don't always get to see the fruit that, that comes from that. You know, we plant seeds, we water, sometimes we fertilize, sometimes we, we're just there to do just a part of that thing. And very seldom do we get to see the actual change in somebody's life. And I've been to uh, quite a few uh, mission trips in places like Katrina and uh, and seeing people that have lost everything. 
everything. They come across them and we haven't even had to dig a, a path and cut out trees to, just to get to these people. They haven't had food, they haven't had water, haven't had anything. And boy, when you get there, man, it's amazing. We'd bring them little, little structures to, to get it up out of the, out of the soaked ground. I give them a Bible. We pray with them. We pray with them. There's been occasions when those people would just uh, fall to their knees, hands lifted high. Lord Jesus, I believe you. I believe you now. That's sweet. That's sweeter than honey. That's why we're here. That's the reason we're here. Have fellowship with God, love God, and love people. That's why we're here. Find out and know about God, and then tell other people. And take that stuff to heaven with us. That's our character that God builds in us. That's what he wants us. He's more interested in our character than he is our comfort. We're not going to be a David or an Ezra or Moses or whoever penned Psalm 119. But their devotion and obedience to God's word is a great example of how, how impactful our lives can become if we continue to seek with diligence God's instruction for life and share that with our relational worlds. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your example. You've included in your word for us to learn and apply to our own life. Help us to delight in your word and love your precepts. Help us to embrace your promises and claim them, Lord, for our own. Help us to test all things through your perfect word. Lord, help us to live a life it's God honoring. Become a fragrance to you, an example to those in our relational world. Or you are our strength, our guide. We love you so much. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.